0: All right, hello everybody. How are you doing today? This is Chris Howe. This is the Limitless Connect podcast where we discuss the art of business leadership and being a tactical project manager. So I've spent 20 years in corporate IT, uh, delivering software, and love to talk about my experiences as a business leader and a get shit done tactical project manager. Uh, in that spirit, I've uh, invited two of my former teammates, Tim McChain's and Kim Bradley. They worked with me as project managers. They are certainly get stuff done people and invited them today to talk on a multitude of different project management aspects. So before we dive into that, let's get to know our guest today. Ken Bradley, you up first. Hey Chris, thank you. Uh, my name is Kim
1: Bradley and I have um, about Seven years of experience in IT software project management I worked for a local telecommunications software company in the Indianapolis area
0: all right thanks Tim thanks for joining us I look forward to, to diving uh, more into more into diving into your experience as a project manager and uh, how you've uh, earned the the reputation as a very successful get it done project manager that you are
2: all right, Fenric,
0: let's hear for me, buddy?
2: So I'm Fenric James, born and raised in the beautiful islands of the Bahamas. been doing the project management for about five, six years, uh, focusing on the agile project management. I uh, also work for a local uh, technology company, software company in Indianapolis, Indiana.
0: All right, so project management I mean, I've been out of uh the corporate life for about a year. I guess project management's still a role. We don't have like automations and stuff to to, to do that <laughs> not yet <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's uh i mean let's let's talk a little bit about how you how you got into the world of uh, project management. Some of the listeners may be uh um, assessing if project management's a, a good career for them, so what uh, inspired you to go down this track? Uh, we'll go reverse order this time, Fenric, you get start.
2: Yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> working for another company in town uh, probably 10 years ago, and I was doing implementation consulting, so what that meant is that we had a cloud solution uh, for our customers with timekeeping software, and what I did was help just configure the software. Um, so. In that process of configuring the software, you'd work with the customer all the time. You go through requirements, go through all the deliverables and say, hey, how do you want this done? And over time, um, it just felt natural to be kind of the person to move the project along. Even though we had project managers, just by my nature, I like building relationships, I like talking to customers, getting to know them. So it, it, it kind of was a natural progression of implementation to, hey, what do you want to go next? What does your project look like? What are your outcomes? What are your deliverables, et cetera? So after a couple, maybe a year of doing the implementation consulting part, I uh, talked to my manager about, hey, if there's any project management roles, I'd I'll, I'll love to be a part of it. So he gave me an opportunity, kind of easily fit into that role. And the good thing about it then was not only could I do the project, but I could also implement implement it as well. And so when we were talking to customers about timelines, I can give them a legitimate, pretty good timeline because I know how it would be configured. So that helped with just giving them that, uh, a wise man uh, named Chris Howe would always say, set, meet, manage expectations. So that's exactly what we were doing. Um, so that that equated to a couple of years of project management and then transitioned into my current role. And then that's where Agile kind of became something I was passionate about. Um, I love Agile Product Management because it it feels like how people will do things. It, it kind of reminds you of how my son will will do something, he would fail at it, and he'll do it again. So it's all about, instead of waiting until you have a perfect uh, mental model or roadmap of how you're going to do something, you say, all right, what's the what's the thing I want to do? All right, let's break it up into small chunks. and so let's just go, all right, that part worked, that part didn't work. Let's go back and rephrase it. Um, So that that agile methodology makes a lot of sense because it gets value in a short amount of time. And that's why I think for customers, it just makes sense because it's like, all right, I can see the value. I don't have to wait, you know, months and months, I can get value in a short amount of time. And then I can see the progress to push me forward. So yeah, that's my story.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, interesting, you as a technical lead, per se, uh, w- was attracted to the project management role, because I've seen two dynamics where either your technical lead you know, wants a career path towards project management, uh, or they want nothing to do with project management. They want right. to keep it it's in bite. Uh, so what aspects of project management uh, were appealing to you and uh, the, the skills needed that wanted you to go from technical lead to 2PM?
2: Yeah, the the relationship. Um, I I think uh, growing up in the Bahamas, relationships are important. Um, everyone knows who you are, and, and the relationships you build are important because it's an island. Like literally, someone will come out of nowhere and be like, "What's your name?" Like Frederick James. Oh, I know your parents. So understanding that relationship, building a relationship, mattered. So project management to me is more eighty twenty relationship. It's eighty, and then twenty percent the the stuff afterward. The, the write-ups and the reports, et cetera. But if you can build a yeah. relationship with a customer yeah. that they feel like, hey, this person knows exactly what I'm looking for. They understand my needs. Um, it takes care for some of the things that you have to work through and especially those hard conversations. So uh, yeah, just mm-hmm. understanding that that relationship was something that product managers did that, that really drew me to, to go that route.
0: Yeah, and you bring up a, a thought that uh, I'd, I'd want to say to any project manager, and I, I certainly operated this way, and, and wanted my team to operate this way. That as a project manager, uh, you are the you are the ultimate owner of of success, and you have every resource at your um, at your disposal within your company, whether that's the CEO or some type of specialty skill you need on your project it's up to you to identify when that's needed and and to call for help. And and what you'll see a lot of times that if you don't have that relationship or you're not demonstrating the capabilities of of extreme ownership, then your customer is going to lose confidence and then jump the project manager to go to their manager or to some type of uh, regional director or whatnot. And I, I always, uh, I don't like that because now you've just got multiple roles coming in to uh, oversee the client and, You know, driving software. There's going to be issues, yeah. So it's very important to develop that rapport with the clients. They they view as that that trusted advisor, that that really owner of success, where they know that if they go to Fenwick, that uh, he's going to get it. He's going to get the job done, even if we're having a a hiccup or a challenge at that moment in time. So, absolutely, Dad. And that's why I say it's a unique jump from technical lead to project manager because as you go to project manager. That, that skill set, uh, the interpersonal skill set of communication and building relationships, is going to be absolutely huge uh, in, in defining how successful you are as, as a project
2: manager. Absolutely,
0: good, great, great way to highlight those. So, Kim Bradley, how did you get down this crazy world of software implementation project manager?
1: Yeah well unlike Benrick, I didn't have that background. Um, I was I, I have a, many years of contact center experience um, as a as a um, as a contact center representative as a supervisor so I brought the contact center knowledge to the position um, and I had uh, you as my director at that time that helped me really learn the project management 101. Uh, I know we had several sessions little mini training sessions and things that you took kind of time out of your day to help me um, just learn the business and learn how to be a really good PM. So um, I brought, you know, kind of a different set to the, to the role. I had been in leadership roles and customer facing roles and customer service and sales. So I had that. And that's, and I'm sitting here nodding and, and you were talking Chris, because um, that whole relationship piece and communication is so key in this industry. Um, it's a pretty small industry. And, and, you know these the customers that we deal with have choices they have you know options out there and we've got to be on our game we've got to be sharp we've got to be the leader in the industry and and a lot of that is based on people and the relationships and so um, you know from the from the very beginning of a project um, is is where that starts and as Fenderk had also pointed out, even when you have to make, a, you know, a, a share a difficult, you know, message about a timeline or a slippage or anything that's not so comfortable, it's easier when you have a relationship with a customer that you can do that where it's built on trust. Um, one of the things that has helped me is that I'm I'm kind of OCD and, and type A personality, so the whole ownership thing has has definitely been a strong skill of mine. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I really take things kind of personal um, and make sure that these guys, my customers are taken care of. I mean, I, I own that relationship, even though I have several people that are part of my team, like the technical leads and, you know, a variety of different um, departments and things I'm ultimately responsible for the success of the project and everything comes through me. And if it fails, then it also comes through me. Um, So I really feel like, you know, owning owning the project, understanding what's happening at all, you know, phases of the project is very important because the customer is is going to be the one that, you know, I'm going to be the one the customer calls when they have questions or issues or just need status. So, um, yeah, that that's been something I have found to be very critical in, in this industry and as a project manager, you know, in, in my success.
0: Yeah, if you've been working in, in software, and I, I always say there's like different tiers of PM, and that's not to rate one above the other, it's just different uh, complexity levels. So if you're like uh, an in-house uh, uh, IT PM where your customers you see in the break room, uh, in the lunch line, it's a little bit different than when someone's paying money and they've had expectations set outside of you uh it's just a way more aggressive uh deployment style. And and I'll say this with telephones it's it's pretty uh, it's still pretty nice, even though I'm I'm sure we've all had a fair share of uh challenging customers. Uh but if you look at the space I was in prior to call center, uh with deck collections, that's uh that's a unique cast of characters there that will let you know what they think uh as soon as they think it. So you gotta you gotta put your ego aside a lot of times and just understand what you're being what the, what the feedback is and what the challenge is and then what you need to do to put an action plan to to go to overcome it. I, I will highlight something about kim and and I've talked about extreme ownership, but that's not just on your project, that's on success in life and Kim mentioned how i, I trained her, and it's not like I want to have people come to work. I think he came in at seven seven thirty and we would train for for an hour. Uh, it's not like I want to do this, um, but but I, I enjoy it. I uh, don't want to make my employees do that. But Kim, Kim came in every morning, said, hey, I was not trained. Uh, I, I'm not successful right now, but I can be with some, some training guidance. And I think we train uh, three, four days a week for two or three weeks. And mm-hmm. you probably don't remember anything that I said, but you probably, the theme stuck in your head, like what Fenwick said, with expectations. The, Art of project management no, no no more uh, complex than uh, the word expectations. That's setting, managing, meeting, and I can still say to this date, 100% of escalations are when an expectation is not set or when an expectation has been missed. Um, yeah. So it's really important to set the right expectations. And then Kim coming to me as a new director, I, I think a lot of people want to – not show vulnerability in front of a new leader and say, Oh, I'm, I'm good. I I got everything I need and things that their role in life is to just go off and take a set of responsibilities and then just make sure the director never hears from them again, or the boss manager, whatever the case may be. And uh, at least uh, my approach uh, to to leadership was uh, like I mentioned, as a PM, I, I work for you so I can guide you and tell you, Uh, what I think you're going to need to be successful. And that gives me peace of mind. But the best employees are the ones that they know where they need something and they come in and demand it of you as a leader. And I think it was you, Kim, and I said, success will be the day you kick in my door and said, damn it, Hal, I told you three times I need more people on my team and you're causing me to fail. In fact, I got a, a call lined up with a client today where they're going to yell at you because you didn't get this." To me, I mean, yeah. everyone's just being real. I didn't follow into the hierarchy of, you know, I sit here, you sit here. So that places some uh, value on our, on, our, um, on our places in life. It's, no, we have all work for one team. We have different sets of responsibilities. And from where I sit, I'm responsible for making sure all of my organization is able to accomplish what they uh, need to accomplish. And that's either through training, guidance, slap on the hand, slap on the head, listening uh, you know, whatever, whatever I could do. And over time, it's, it's kind of an art form and we'll talk about that on the, on this podcast in general. Uh, but I would want to make them successful, but it's always easy when you have someone like Tim or, or Fenric that just take extreme ownership and they'll, they'll pull you in when they need you. And, uh, and when you do get pulled in unexpectedly, typically all ducks are in a row. And it's easy to resell the value of the two of you when you have to go back in front of a client because of some pickup of whatever nature. So always appreciate that to me, Kim, and want the the audience here that, you know, as a a project manager, you know, extreme ownership is one of the the best skills that you can demonstrate. And then just keep it simple and know that you're in the game of expectations and you're always looking to set one then you're working to manage the expectations that you've set, and then you're hoping to meet or exceed those expectations. And if you can do all three of those at a at a high percentage level, you're going to be successful at the PM. But also, you're not going to hit 100%. Software is too fickle. There are so many different um, uh, variables in it. You know That's why it's a little bit different uh, delivering software, especially in front of a paying client, than it is uh, installing some hardware servers as an internal client. Uh, PM, not knocking that, but uh, I think a lot of people don't understand there's a difference in approaches and skills when you have project management internally versus uh, when you're uh, implementing in front of a paying client. So let's talk about, uh, you know, we've uh, we've all acknowledged so far that y'all are smart and uh, success will take uh, extreme ownership, but uh, that doesn't, you just don't wake up with that uh, in your head. You've had to develop that over time. So. What are the, the daily practices and habits that you've instilled um, for you to be the best project manager? We don't have to limit that to keeping things updated. It may be, you know, I, I, I am in the moment with my family when I have breakfast with them so that I don't feel that I'm neglecting my family for the rest of the day. So even personal items that you focus on that allow you to um, execute at a, at a high level professionally, you know, just any kind of tips or tricks in life that you've implemented daily, weekly, monthly, that you feel help you be the best project manager you can be. And we won't go, we won't take turns anymore, Just we'll just start talking.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I have any, like, tips or tricks. Um, I, I may, but they're maybe quirky. But I, you um, know, just having a schedule for me, um, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm regimented, but I definitely like to have structure in my day. Um, both personally and professionally. So having, you know, kind of a to-do list, if you will, or just having a plan for each day um, as I plan out my customer calls and I plan out my meetings, um, as I plan out my, you know, what we're doing as a family in the evenings or the weekends or whatever that is, I I like to have some sort of plan and schedule. and, And then, you know, to add to that you have to be flexible as we all know things change um customers change their minds you know your family plans may change and so being flexible in this position is key um but some of the daily things that I go through um you know I always before I sign off on in the the evening I look to see what I have planned the next day and, and kind of adjust um you know what I need to do like you know, I, some days I have 7 a.m. calls, and other days I don't have a call or a meeting until 10 a.m., so I know that if there's something personally that I need to get done, I need to do that in the mornings that I don't have a 7 a.m. call, and so it's just, it's simple things like that, um, and just being prepared, you know, constantly in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about that next call of what I need to, to do to have, you know, you know what, what's the objective of the call, what are we trying to accomplish, and um, I typically take, Notes and, um, you know, make sure that everyone by the end of that call, as Chris has pointed out, setting the expectation of the call, managing the expectations, and then, you know, meeting those or exceeding those. And, and that, that you know, during a, a customer meeting, you're, you know, having an agenda for the customer is important. You know, everyone wants to make sure everyone's calendars are so full these days. And we don't want to have a call just to have a call. We want to make it meaningful and productive. And so having an agenda for these customers and saying, Okay, this is what we plan to talk about today. And then at the end of that conversation, you talk through follow up and action items and you know, just that next step and you're constantly helping them think about, you know, the next step. But as a project manager, I'd have to be like at least two to five steps ahead of them thinking about things. So um it that requires a lot of thought in and, and you know, just um a, just having kind of a plan for each day and, and each one of the discussions for me—that's what helped me kind of keep things in order and um, be successful as well.
0: Yeah, I do have one question for you, Kim. Because I was always—and um, this is not uh, this is not being over the top—but I was all, always amazed by. Uh, the women in the group that would do project management, program management, and as we've all kind of acknowledged, very complex dealing with complex software, complex attitudes of customers and teammates and so forth. Uh, but to, to allow me to ask this question, I'm going to have to make one assumption, uh, Kim, and uh, that assumption is that you most likely are like the the COO of your house where you are kind of the operational person and, you know, this stuff needs to be done, and this kid gets this, and this husband needs to go do this. I'm, a, I'm going to make that assumption. Is that a true assumption? As you kind of leave the ship at home. So well. with that, I I didn't I don't have that responsibility. Like my wife locks it down. I'm sure Fenric's, uh keeps keeps him in order from what I know of him. How do you balance that? Because I always had a lot of respect for um, the women that I knew would work. 50, 55 hours a week, but then put in as much time at home, keeping that in order. So how do you make that work technically and then keep your sanity through all that?
1: Yeah, it's not always easy. And I, and I don't claim to be sane half the time. But <laughs> um, No, I, I think for me, um, it, I feel that, um, you know, just kind of having a plan, just kind of, you know, staying organized has been very helpful for me. I keep a calendar. We have a family calendar. You know, there's just, there's so much to manage and track. Um, and, and also just setting boundaries is really important too. I, you know, when i working from home during all of this, um, you know, stuck with the pandemic and so forth, um, you really have to set your own office hours and you have to be very intentional with your family time as well. So balancing that out Um, Some days are better than others. Um, But, you know, having a plan of just kind of for the week and talking that over with your family, figuring out, you know, dinner. I mean, it's, it's just, all this stuff is constantly going through my mind. I'm, I can multitask pretty well um, most days. And so there's, there's always, there's, there's not a lot of downtime, let's put it that way. So there's always something that is on my mind about the next thing. Like, you know, what we're having for dinner or what we're doing over the weekend or, you know, whatever. But then when it comes to the work piece, um, you know, obviously having intentional discussions, being organized in your thoughts, organized in your, in your schedule and, and just really making family time as important because, I mean, this job is very demanding. Um, It's, it's fun, but it it can be very demanding. And so you kind of have to just make sure you set your boundaries that you know i'm going to sign off every day at whatever time that is and then that's it's hard to walk away sometimes when your home office is right in your in your home where everything's happening in the hub of your home but um you have to do that you have to be able to just close the laptop down shut the email off and then go do your family sign and sometimes you know even when people go to bed i'll come in and weekend and check my email or you know do things like that and so it's I don't know it's there's just not a lot of of downtime for me personally but that's okay that's kind of the way I operate and I I like to stay busy I like to be productive and it just seems like there's so much to to do that it's that's just kind of my personality so um I don't I don't claim to be good at any of it but I I certainly try to maintain some sanity
0: but you make me you maintain a job and a marriage. I'm talking with you, so. Uh, those are some pretty impressive numbers, Ken, for you not to think like you're, you're just an absolute badass. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, Chris. All right. Then, Rick, on, on your side, I mean, are you uh, kind of one that steers the ship at home? Or if you're not, what do you do to account for your absence of you know, traveling and, and working full time? And how do you keep things balanced? And and again, I'm making an assumption that you don't. If you do, uh, please please respond uh, in the way that Kim did.
2: Uh, I don't know. I I plead the fifth one. If I'm the (laughs) the one that uh, keeps naming, I I mean, I think uh, so. For me, it's 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 a couple of things. So I like to have a growth mindset, and what does that mean? So that's something actually I learned recently from a, a training. They call it growth mindset, but it made sense because it's this like idea of how do I learn and how do I not rest on what I know, but try to learn more. And so in this quarantine time, that's been reading more books and just getting into books and getting understanding and, and everything that's been going on in society has said, hey, there's more information about just everything that I don't know. So just having this growth mindset of like, I'm always looking for information, not settling on, I know this, uh, I'm cool. It's always that feeling of I can know some more. So that growth mindset makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, that,
0: that, that's a great, great perspective. because I have seen this, this a, a few times here, here recently where I'm visiting with people that I used to work with that are still working uh, in, in a corporate environment. And these people at one point in time, very hungry, very successful. And then they hit that stage where, they lose that hunger and they're more just like, I got to hold on to all this. Like their life then becomes holding on to all this. And then if you hear them talk about their day to day, they don't sound like it's exciting, but they got to hold on to it, you know? Right? They got to hold on to it. So your, your thought process there about just learning, you know, Trying, failing, learning, improving. Trying, failing, learning, improving. I mean, it's almost addictive. I'm I'm taking it over the top right now. But uh, <laughs> if, if you can do that, because don't, you don't need to be an entrepreneur to, to live a limitless life or to challenge yourself. You need to do just what you're doing. Uh, try. You're going to have some form of failure. It may not be a, right. an F on your paper, but you, you're not going to meet an expectation that you had for yourself when you tried it. Because if you thought you were just going to fail, you probably wouldn't have done it. Right. But you went in there, you tried it. Bumped your head, said, okay, I learned a little bit. Now you're better because that failure, you had to have that failure because that failure is now sharpening who you are as a person. Exactly. I did, uh, you know, I used to do CrossFit. I don't think we call it CrossFit anymore. I think it's like <laughs> functional fitness. And there's a movement called the muscle up. And I failed 30 times one day. And I was like, well, I had to get those 30 out of the way to get the one. And right. you know, now I can, I can do 10 unbroken. But yeah, to do that, I, I had to fail. And so your growth mindset, yes, read, try new hobbies. Uh, you know one thing I've done is I've been getting I've been so into tech. I forgot how much of a tech nerd I used to be. I mean, I used to be a developer when I started in this world, uh, but I got that mindset. I just had to hold everything. I don't want to learn new skills, you know I'm, I'm good just kind of telling people what to do and counting the beans and making sure everyone's happy, right? But I mean, just the other day, I set up a virtual, a virtual machine on Google Cloud. That, and I'll we pay people 200k a year to do this, and I did it with an eight-minute YouTube video. <laughs> so not not to interrupt you, but I, I, things like that that are just kind of key aspects of life. The, the point of life is not to hold on what you've obtained. It's to now, okay, set some new goals. You, if you reach some certain status level or financial level or some type of job competency level that you're happy, okay, now now your call is to Make yourself twenty years old again, you know, about yeah. to exit college, the world's the world's at your hands, what are you gonna do with it? You can do that every single day if you want. Um, oh, yeah. you certainly should do it at a certain point in time when you find yourself just holding on to what you have, especially if you're not just thinking thinking you're you're God every single day that this is what you have, and you're complaining about it, this, that, and the other. Like, what are you doing about it? <laughs> yeah. That's the story I wanna hear is what you did about it, not that it's a problem. <laughs> So,
2: so please go ahead and talk about that, Dominic. <laughs> no, I like it. I mean, it, it kind of ties into the the second thing I wrote down because when you asked the question, I was like, let me write down some stuff real quick. So, uh, embrace change. I mean, that. So I, I think I like a lot of people. I like change. Like change always never never fazed me much. I I kind of embrace. I like it. So, uh, and that whole growth mindset. You gotta expect the change. You know, the thing that you learned yesterday changes your perception for the future. So. Even if it's simple as, you know, I'm going online and I, I got like the masterclass pass a few days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying to learn chess. always thought chess was interesting. I've heard people say like, hey, chess is that like king stuff or whatever, but I'm like, all right, let me let make me a learn chess or let me see if I could build something. So uh, just embracing the change that comes with learning and that growth mindset is, I think is amazing. And then. For me, I've always been self-aware. Um, I think you, we've had situations, me and you, Chris, where um, you'd say, man, I think you did a great job, but it's not I'd be like, yeah, but it's the one thing I need to get better at. I'm, I'm very self-aware of things that I can do differently or better. That's always been something that, that's a part of me. So maybe I wake up in the morning. I'm thinking like, all right, you know, it's kind of like that whole Kanban continuous improvement, continuous improvement model where I'm like, all right. I, I, I did decent in my workout this morning with my wife, but man, I, I really should have done better at those, uh, those, those push-ups or, or anything. Like I'm, I'm self-aware enough to say like I need to put more effort and more time more focus into it. So, yeah, those are the things that kind of get me going on a daily basis.
0: I think if that, if that mindset produces an energy and an excitement, I think it's good. But I've also seen people, because i with some extreme personalities, uh i've also seen where people you know it's, not, it's almost a negative where because right. they didn't do that push-up right they it's hanging in their head and kind of like we got up and worked out that's better than 10 percent or 90 percent of the people that day uh so would you say it's a, a healthy energy or do you feel that sometimes it consumes you that what you do is not good enough
2: no it's a healthy energy because i don't know maybe just because i'm from the bahamas and i got that laid back demeanor but I, i'm never too up and i'm never too down with myself um but the self-awareness is good for me because um it, you know <laughs> we've had situations where in the same day you get the highest compliment from one customer the same day you get the lowest compliment so you stay in the middle always and so it keeps me humble i mean that's that's kind of where it is so yeah i use it as, as as positive energy i never get too down about myself um because i'm just like hey you know the same day i could be a amazing, uh, project manager, I could take an L on being a father. So, all right, that's fine. Let's, let's, let's improve that tomorrow and vice versa. I could be a amazing father tomorrow and and miss a deadline, take an L on the other thing. So yeah, I just use it as, as motivation to keep it, keep it going. Yeah.
0: So yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, and Kim, you can chime in too. What are uh, either skills that you're trying to develop? Books you're reading, uh, podcasts you're listening to that uh, help kind of sharpen uh, sharpen your skills as a as a project manager or a, or a business leader? I'll let y'all think a little bit. So so with me, I mean, uh, really embracing trying trying new things. I mean, whether it's doing comedy. Trying to trying to play this guitar I got for forty dollars online. It's uh, all those. It's all the same muscle. It's like um, back when I used to work out, like the work out at like the Globo gyms. You do like the bicep presses to build your biceps. Uh, but then what I found in, in CrossFit, I could do rope climbs or muscle ups or pull ups, and that would build the same biceps, but but even stronger than the curls because I was I was using them functionally. So. what what I've seen is if I can continue to sharpen um, the skill of fearing something and trying it and learning and improving, that that will continue to carry over into the business areas of my life, to the physical areas of my life, to the relationship areas of my life. Uh, So I I try to fail every day at something. And if if I'm not failing, I'm sitting too comfortable. And, And I've always said, uh, the, the biggest, uh, the biggest risk to you being your best person is not you being your worst. It's actually you being your most okay. Cause okay is such a hard state to get out of cause you're okay. Uh, so you want to try to put yourself in the situation where you're not okay. You, you fail because that is going to propel you to want to reach those levels of being better than okay because you just failed and you want to learn more. All uh, right, Kim had internet issues and can't get back in at the moment, so we'll wait for her. I uh, wonder why she's being, oh, I think we're here.
3: Can you hear me okay?
0: We got you, perfect. A little bit of uh, audio um, feedback. I don't know if you can mute something or whatever. So, yeah, Finnick, what, uh, what other kind of things are you getting into to, to sharpen your skill set?
2: Yeah, I've been I read, reading a lot of books on, on just spirituality, honestly. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, so uh, I've been just reading books on, I just read a book called Follow Me. Uh, I'm just almost finished with a book called Ragamuffin um, Gospel. Uh, that one's pretty cool, a guy name Brennan. Uh, I, I like the way he approached it because he's always talking about, like, you know, grace and, and how, like, you know, from a life perspective, you know, Sometimes we can get in our heads and say hey, we're, we're too good for ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we've reached X, Y, and Z, but there, there's so much grace that's necessary to to be productive, be successful. Um, so I think that's important because I think as we look in society, a, a lot of times we, we, you know, we there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of things out there that it's just about ourselves, right? Um, instead of humanity, instead of people that we that we have in our in our our say and we forget where we come from you know what i mean i I'm, i always tell people i am a simple island boy at, at my heart you know what i mean no matter how successful i get in life i can always tell you the best place for me to be is on a beach in the bahamas with some homemade bread and my feet in the sand like that's 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 golden for me so i feel blessed because um, coming from that uh, and I am where I am now with, with with two children and a wife that loves me and a lot of good friends I, I always try to have that feeling of gratitude and gratefulness and, and feeling blessed so yeah a lot of books I've been reading have just been around that um, just kind of making sure my, my mind and my heart are, are stayed in a, a an aspect or feeling of gratitude and, and gratefulness
0: that's really good really good Ken, so we're talking about uh any types of books or uh, things you're listening to watching that help you sharpen your skill as a PM, even if those things are maybe of like Phoenix uh, said, a spirituality nature or a personal nature, they just allow you to be uh, a better professional because you're, you're improving something at home or within your own skill set that transfers over to project management.
3: Yeah. I've got two books right now, but I am, I, I haven't started them yet, but two that are on my list. Um, Good to great, which is a, kind of a classic in the um corporate world but that is a a, a book that i'm really excited to read um and then the other one is the seven habits of highly effective people i've read it before a long time ago and i know stephen covey has come out with a few different uh versions of that but um i just interested in being just more i guess more of just a better leader just becoming more well-rounded Um, and helping me just try to be more productive um, just in in my personal and my professional life. So those are two that I'm looking forward to to jumping in and and, um, reading next.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, I've drilled it down to like three essential books you need as like a software, either PM or leader. And that's uh, Seven Habits, of Highly Effective People. I I think that should just be standard reading for anybody. I I absolutely love and adore that book. Uh, crucial conversations is, a, is another key one uh, where it's, uh, you know, place, placing the importance and value of a relationship and other people's emotions and feelings at the forefront of your conversations and taking those to an account because uh, I think y'all oh, know I wasn't like the best at crucial conversations. I just came in and said whatever I had to say. And then uh, if they didn't like it, I'd even get more forceful. Uh, but since then, I'm really trying to understand the art of, uh, understanding where people are coming from and, you know, why they're in the situation that, they're in. And then, uh, and then just leading with love and compassion and seeking to understand, you know, how we can improve something if it is of a, of a crucial nature. And then finally, this was a surprise to me, but it was, it was amazing how many of the concepts I've heard throughout my software career, uh, specifically at, at, uh, at the uh, place we worked at before we were acquired. Uh, but, uh, the lean startup, I mean, you've got agile MVP, uh, a lot of things that are pretty common terminologies in, in our world. Now, I believe like lean startup was just introducing them as concepts and, um, that, that books really good, uh, either software or entrepreneurship, because it, it talks about, uh, doing things in iterative stages, uh, delivering, you know, whatever the minimal viable product is that gives some type of value uh, immediately, and using that as a feedback me- mechanism, whether is there uh, a market demand for this uh, feature or this tool, uh, is there is there anything that we need to improve on it or not, uh, you know, it's interesting to see how a lot of different, uh, very popular concepts, what they started as and how they evolved to, like Craigslist, Craigslist was something weird, like something, it was some like political, uh, like database or something that had started out as, and then somehow once they started acquiring the data and everything, they're like, Hey, we could, uh, you know, we could do this as like an online, you like kind of peer to peer selling form. And then they, they pivoted. So it also, it also talks about uh, reinventing yourself um, is really the art of uh, you know, a startup or, or business, not, not just trying to do what you, what you're trying to do and doing that over however long you got, but going to a point, analyzing the feedback to that date, do you continue on or do you make some adjustments or do you just reinvent yourself? And I mean, I had to do that with my first, uh, my first venture. It was a a CBD sports topical. When I looked at the revenue model and what it was going to take for me to be a credible resource in industry, it just, it was going to take so long. So went back to my, my natural comfort zone of it. and, And then through that venture though, I got, Uh, almost a year's worth of entrepreneurship experience that was essentially my bachelor's degree. And then you you tack on the, the, um, the IT side of things Uh, you know, I feel just so much more comfortable going at this, but um, I wouldn't have got to this point had I not had those failures and tried to do something up front. So good. uh, Seven habits, crucial conversations and lean Startup. I think if anyone's just coming out of college or moving into the software world or have been there and just never read those three books, they're, they're uh, three great books to, to read. So thanks for bringing it up, 7 Habits. So how, how do you fit in time to read, Tim, when you're working and then you got stuff at home? You, you do the Audible books or where do you fit these books in? Yeah, you have to make time for that. That is so
3: important um, just for your own development. You kind of have to carve out time in your schedule. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do the audible books, you know, if I'm in the car or doing things like that, that helps kind of allow me to multitask a little bit. Uh, there's there's nothing like having a good book in your hand though, where you can write in it, highlight it, and so forth. So um yeah, you you definitely have to make time uh, for your personal development and that's something that as pro- as from my perspective, I don't do the best stuff because my job is so demanding and I'm busy all the time. Um, but it, it's it's so important to make time to, um, to you know, be fresh on technology, be fresh on just the industry, um, and just make sure that your skill set is really sharp, too. And, and, and part of that is just that personal development time. Um, you know, the, the company doesn't really give you, I mean, they definitely have a ton of resources available for us to, to be successful. Um, but it's not something that, you know,
0: you, you have to take up on yourself. If you want to grow and learn, you got to be able to do it on your own and, um, and make time for that. So it's really important. Yeah. One, one thing I found a lot of value in was, uh, was different mentorships. Uh, do y'all practice that now, whether it's in the office or outside the office, do you have any of these people that you look up to, whether professionally or personally and, and meet with them often to, or meet with them at some uh, regular interval to talk about life and kind of observe what they're doing to take from them? Or do y'all do that? Or is it solely just from observing people on TV and books and stuff?
3: It's, from my perspective, it's more ad hoc. It's nothing formal right now. I, I have had, uh, I have been in a mentoring relationship before where I was being mentored and, um, you know, just scheduled things for business for not carrying it forward. But um, that's also a very good way to, uh, for personal growth, um and just networking as well but yes it's it's definitely more ad hoc now uh, for me and just kind of you know you you kind of find the people that you relate to it from you know definitely i have a lot of people in my corner and so i know i could reach out um if i do need to bounce ideas off of or just you know get help in general um from a variety of, of different people here in the office
0: What you got going on? Can you meet with any, uh, any gurus? Uh,
2: not, not in particular. Um, I've tried it in the past and it it didn't seem to to stick, but kind of like Kim said, I I enjoy just talking to people like tomorrow. I'm going to meet with some people that I used to work with in the government sector for, for dinner. And, and there are three women that have been really successful and everything, I mean, all the stuff that they've done. So I look forward to talking to them about like all of it and just getting their feedback. So not one mentor, but I, I enjoy just learning from just people. So I'll, I'll often talk to a person that may not be in the same field about something I'm doing. Cause uh, when I when I did my advanced degree in um, usability, um, human interaction, they always talked about scenarios. So they said, hey, create a persona, create a scenario and go with it. So if you're saying like, hey, I want to build this beautiful birdhouse, uh, you may go to a designer and they may say, hey, do these things. But if you go to someone who dislikes, you know, metalwork, they may say, hey, try this. You know, maybe not use wood. you be like, oh, I didn't know you could do a birdhouse in something other than wood. So I like to get that very dis- perspective from different people that may not even be in the field because it it kind of broadens your your mind because it's almost like you you have a a box kind of scenario of this is what I think it's going to be, and then you talk to someone completely different, they're like, Well, why, why do you need to be wood making metal, making fiberglass? And so, I, I kind of use that as a way to kind of learn traditional other people. So, as so a I,
0: I, weird thing, I was like, Is this there, ever been like a project management movie? <laughs> like someone's like this high powered project manager, I don't, I don't think it's for that glorified of a role yet.
3: So. Uh,
0: but, it, but it feels like, I mean, when you take that ownership of, uh, of a project and, you know, the types of project that we did six figures, you know, sometimes seven figures, there, there is a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure out there to, to deliver and, and to be on your best. So yeah, just even, even listening to y'all today, I just remind how, how even keel both of y'all were. I mean, I had to engage with y'all. it was like the, the boss. And difficult situations, but, uh, you know, both of you would have kind of, hey, here's what we're breaking down at. Here's what I'm doing to get out of it. Here's what I need from you. Um, I think, Fenric, I think we, at least for me, I think a lot of trust was gained. One time we had something broke, broken down on, on one of your larger clients, and it was by nature of how they kept, um, uh, you know, kind of manipulating their system. And it was, it was so different. Uh, And we couldn't test everything was so different. So I was really trying to just dig into where the breakdown was. And it almost sounded like I was trying to find someone to blame. Uh, But you, you entertained my line of questioning. And I think we did get down from a a PM perspective of where things could have been done differently. And that was in the form of budget that the client didn't want, did not want to invest in uh, a testing system that mimicked theirs, that we were going to go ahead and start charging them. Um, extra to do the additional due diligence we would need to recreate a temp environment to to do that. So I don't know if you ever did it or not. However, I did appreciate you. Let me, you know, pretty much just take off your clothes piece by piece to see what you had going on. And then, uh, and then know and trust that I wasn't doing it to, to hang out to dry, but you know, Anytime there's a breakdown like that, you want to learn how we can be better. Even if that that be better is, is manage the customer better in the future. Y- y'all know what I always say that PMs always 100%, hold on, hold on, always 30% uh, at fault during a project escalation or project failure, and it only goes up from there. It's never going to go down. It's going to be like, oh, you didn't do this. It's 35%. Oh, you never had this call. It's 45%. So. <laughs> uh i think that that's the key is no matter what type of customer or leader that you're dealing with look past the the emotions and so forth and just drill down to the content that's being delivered you know where where are the challenges being brought up here what what do we need to do you know do i just need to let this customer yell and then I'll sell them on my action plan um but that is something that, uh, that I think I, I realized kind of later on um, as a PM, but then once I was a, a leader, I, I really make sure that, hey, everybody, this is not a, we're not going to hang anyone out to dry here. Uh, we want us at our best. So if something does break down, as a leader, I'm, I'm going to dig, but that digging is so that we learn and, and don't get in that situation again.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to that point, I mean, the thing that you always showed when we work together with just mutual respect. I mean, that's that's something that we always talked about. And and, and like you said, that trust came with it. So I knew that, you know, working with you, working with Kim, working with everyone, we had mutual respect for each other as professionals. And, and we're coming from the perspective of like, how do we get better as a team? So that made it easy to take the feedback and say, all right, this isn't a, an attack on anything. This is just like, hey, as a group, how do we get better? Yeah, it's
0: hard, especially when you do, you know, customized software per se. There's just so many, so many fault points. You don't even know what's going to get you. It could, it could be going. You know, you could have set that planted that seed four months ago, and it just pop up out of nowhere and, and hit you right in the eyes as you're about to go live, or after you went live. So it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy role. I mean, I liked it. I'm, I'm sick like that. But yeah, it was challenges and travel and personalities and and budgets. Uh, I do want to keep this around an hour, so we got ten. Um, how do you how do you go about maintaining and and managing your budget is it a consideration do you uh you know how do you how do you understand if you have enough budget you know how does that work yeah so budget is
3: is definitely a consideration it's one of the boundaries that we are um kept to as, as project managers um you know the budget scope is critical um, to making sure. And that's a discussion that you have right off the bat, right when you first get a project and you start meeting with a customer. Yep. Do, you know, do I know if I have enough hours in the beginning? No, you don't really until you get into it. But um, we've done a really good job with, with putting in measures where we have a lot of pre-sales um, efforts, if you will, that kind of help you know, guide how many hours are gonna be needed. So usually it's pretty on, um, but in in the event that a customer has a change of some sort um, that wasn't part of the initial scope, of course, we're gonna have to do a change request in that situation. So that would bring in scope, which would bring in more hours and increase our budget, but also increase our effort. So budget is is critical. Um, it's, It's a conversation that you have to have with your customers all the time. It's not just something that you talk about in the beginning and then you don't talk about it you have to constantly um, be aware of that as a project manager and making sure that you are still being profitable um, for the company as well as delivering you know value to the to the client and the customer so um either various types of, of projects like you have a kind of material where you're billing customers monthly and then you have customers who are on fixed bid. so you they sign up for a bucket you know basically of of X hours and you have to get everything done within those hours. So um, there's a lot of resource planning and resource management things that you have to do as a project manager and make sure that you uh, are, uh, you know, always within within budget and um, scope of, the, of a project. Yep.
0: And then Femmick, we'll, uh, we'll change the topic to you I'm sure you'd say a lot of the same things on Kim on budget. So I think that was spot on. But uh, like tools, uh, I mean, are there any types of tools that you prefer as a project manager, um, whether that be like system of record or uh, you know different like collateral tools where you build documents, or you use like an AI bot to capture your meeting minutes? Uh, any types of tools out there you're using to help uh, uh, you know, really refine your, your ability to do project management? Uh,
2: I, I personally like Trello. Um, which is used a lot in Agile project management. Um, and then Jira uh, does that as well. But Trello has a really cool interface. Um, it, it allows you to kind of see everything. I mean, the beauty of Agile is the transparency aspect of it. Everything is in the front of you. You meet every day, you see what's on your board, you see where you're going, you ask a question every day. did you, know, you do yesterday? What are you doing today? Any blockers? And everyone goes around and has that ceremony. And that allows people to say like, hey man, it's been, it's been on the on the board for a couple of days, you need some help? Like, you know, how can I move this ball forward? And then that collaboration that I think Trello allows just kind of makes that whole project more holistic. Everyone has a, a shared responsibility and a shared win-win scenario in it. So uh, I've used Microsoft Project and that's great, um, but, but the, the new hotness for me is, is probably um, Trello. I like that oh. a lot.
0: I might. I'm, we might need to do a separate like 15 on Trello. I've, I've become such a nerd. I've got the, all the <laughs> automations through that bot that they have, yeah, where like yeah. recurring tasks get deleted and then fresh ones added each week. Yeah. Uh, I'm working now to incorporate like data extract from Trello into my overall reporting, so I start doing regression analysis on when we complete things and how that ties into our metric. Nice. You know, I, yeah, we use the same reason. We got our uh, our backlog, our yeah. sprint, you know, what's being worked on, what's in review, what's done, what's future types of things. Yeah, I, I do like some Trello, man.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> in fact, I need to, I need to call them, I need to mail them and see if they have like an affiliate program where I can uh, yell Trello out on this and get some money if people go to yeah, their website we or idea. something. So, yeah, sure. I need to, I didn't think about that, uh, Kim. Similar question, but let's focus in on communication. So, what is your communication style to keep your team and your client um, on board with whatever expectation that you're managing and trying to meet?
3: So, obviously, communicating early and often is key. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of uh, over-the-phone, uh, phone, you know, call conference calls. Not a lot of face-to-face meetings, um, so even in the office, we, we're a global company. You know, with people all over the world, so it's a lot of phone conversations. follow that up with, you know, an email um, recapping the, the call, the conversation, basically. Um,
0: so, so real quick, um, I, I do want to. This is we're, we're talking about being a tactical PM. What are like some key meetings that are like must-haves for you? Like, like for me, it's a project kickoff to make sure that. You know, we're, we understand what was sold and the client understands what we're going to deliver and how long it's going to take. That was always one of the most uh, important meetings that, that I always made sure I had and always did an additional preparation for. Um, but how about you? Any any kind of milestone meetings within your project or recurring meetings that you place a high emphasis on? Because it is kind of that special, uh, special sauce that makes you a, a highly effective technical PM.
3: Yeah, you're right. The kickoff is very important, but even prior to that, having internal discussions with the internal team and, and being aligned there is, is obviously even more important before you get from the customer. Um, but as the project goes on, um, you know, sometimes it, it depends on the how big the engagement is or, you know, what's, what's happening, but definitely at minimum a weekly status call. Uh, or a stand-up call, you know, depending upon whether it's a waterfall project or an Agile project, you know, in, that, in Agile you're meeting a lot of the times, multiple times a day just for project status. You're doing internal, getting internal status and then meeting with the customer and providing them a status update. So, um, you know, understanding where you are in the project and you, and you get that understanding by meeting with your team uh, internally and then so usually there's an internal status call then you have a customer facing call and that's really with any you know whether what doesn't matter what kind of methodology you're using whether it's agile or or waterfall um, obviously you're going to have um, you know executive uh, sponsor meetings that sort of thing um, pro- providing the status report along with your your weekly calls um, some customers require that require you as the project manager to kind of have a readout and that's what they share with their executive leaders so it just kind of varies on the customers you know expectations but definitely we put everything in writing um you know we have a conversation follow that up with an email or just meeting notes and um we try to be as thorough as possible and and make sure that everyone understands what the next steps are at the end of that of that conversation or meeting
0: So, um, before we wrap up uh, the last topic I want I wanna cover is um, when I was uh, working in big business, one of my uh, one of my key things that I wanted uh, to really kind of permeate through everyone's uh, approach to project management and and certainly within their system of record is to manage a risk register. Uh, you know I don't mind if if people want to make stupid decisions uh but they need to be documented, and we need to have like a a mitigation um plan or a uh, you know a plan to address the risk if uh it does blow up in the face so if the client you know wants to have features x, y and z by uh by d date. Then, yeah, we can deliver that, but uh, you're going to sign up on the risk of, you know, these items if it's too fast. Um, so what I, what I found is that when you have a register and you put the risk and you put who signs off on the risk, there's a lot of people that, that think differently uh, about that because their name's on it. And I was trying to work towards having, like, different roles approve the risk. So if it's, like, a low risk, you just have, like, the counter PM sign off on like a priority four if it's a three or two you have like the uh managing manager or director uh for the client sign off and if it's a priority one you get executive sign off uh from them so have you all uh you know kind of been that structured with risk or if you haven't what's your approach to managing and mitigating risk on your projects?
3: yeah i definitely um Find a lot of value in in documenting any sort of risk, and and it could be like you said, low, medium, high, whatever that is. And getting the customer to sign off on that uh, is critical, whether that be just in an email or just something even formal. But you you definitely have to call it out. That that whole expectation-setting piece. Um, You know, if they're trying to add, you know, add more functionality, but yet reduce the timeline. Okay, well, you know, it's, it's all about the communication and negotiating figuring out how you're going to get that done you know do i have to bring in new resources or does the customer have to accept the risk of you know the, the timeline being in jeopardy i mean it, it's a it just kind of depends on the scenario but definitely documenting and getting sign off on that and then having a very clear mitigation plan on on who's doing what and then what the next step is um you know we're not miracle workers uh we definitely try to remove roadblocks and one of our jobs is you know to is is to do that is to make sure everybody has the tools they need and and so that's that's so important and so i'm glad you asked about that we do a lot of tracking of just um just logs in general you know we we talk about any sort of we, we try to keep a really clean log of just action items and any risks and um any changes they're made, it's it's a constant. Um, it's, there's not a lot of admin work, so to speak, but there's just a lot of of documents that you want to keep um, as the project manager that and, and manage and make sure that everybody is doing their piece of the, the project.
0: Cool. All right, so we'll kind of do just a quick round robin between the three of us. Uh, Anything that you learned on the podcast that you found interesting, uh, and if you didn't hear anything that you didn't already know on here, anything that we didn't talk about that you've learned recently that's been uh, eye-opening as it relates to project management and, and executing uh, efficiently and tactfully? You've been quiet, Fenrick With your Botanica background? It's funny because, like, your headset, you have, like, your, that little face <laughs> little in between the head, headset. You yeah. see the... You see original background. And then I thought that background you had behind you was real. I was like, "Why if he got a Botanica book? Is that, is that where he's going? does he really
2: doing some pot? or?" I'm all about the plants, man. I love the plants. Um, no, I mean, I, I think the thing I learned from this podcast is, I mean, you've talked about um, just, you know, that, that thirst for knowledge and, and, and you know, your, your limit is connecting and, and what you're doing with project management and, and just seeking out. Um, the best way to, you know, engage customers and, uh, you know, we talked about set meet manager expectations. Um, It's just really cool to see you, you know, parlay, especially when you mentioned you did one business and you learned how that entrepreneurial spirit of what you were doing kind of correlates with something else. And even when you said the reps that you do um, are not wasted, I mean, that helps you with kind of building your understanding. And that's project management, that's with everything. You have to you have to put in the reps. You have to put in the time, and you have to fail to then learn. Okay, this is how I can do it better and succeed. So that's something that I, I definitely, uh, learned. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Much yeah. Your...
3: So I think that um, one of the key things that you mentioned, Chris, was about the, the different reading materials that you suggested. Um, I just I need to get better with managing that part of my day to day, and so thank you for um you know i I guess what i learned is just that how important that that personal development and it is and the uh the books that you recommended will definitely be something that i'm going to be peeking out in the future
0: yeah i'll uh i need to throw i'll throw a link to those books and then i'll throw a link to audible but uh i think audible or any any ability you have to get like books on uh uh on I don't, I don't want to say books on tape, but audio books. Uh, I, I think that's great because I mean, at some point in time, we are going to go. You're you're going to go back into the office, so it's probably like a twenty to thirty minute drive. You think about it. You throw a book on the way there, and a book on the on the way home. You've got an hour of a book, and typically most books are five to six hours long. So within a, within a week's time, you can you can finish most books. And uh, you'll find too, the, the, the audible style is, uh, I don't, I tend to get just kind of consumed with the, with what they're reading and like for, kind of forget what's going on, which you gotta be careful when you drive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where if it's important to you, you you have to make it happen. Um, I, I just said this the other, uh, earlier today, like an excuse to me is just, uh, you know, just, uh, an explanation of why you don't want to do it, you know? Um, but actually accomplishing something typically has a story of they had a barrier, a blocker or an excuse that most people would use, but then they found a way to go over through or around what the obstacle was to accomplish what they want. So, uh, and also another thing, uh, I want to highlight to that point, Kim, don't think that you have to start day one with hearing an audible book, uh, for one hour, uh, you know, set. Uh, set a goal of, hey, I'm going to download Audible the first week, you know, and then I'm going to get one of these books and I'm going to listen to it five minutes a day at this time. Uh, what that will do is it, it'll start building that habit. And then once you establish the habit, you can start tacking on additional things to it. Right. So I'm not going to now I've built the habit of, of uh, uh, logging on to the app and starting this uh, audio book for five minutes. Now I'm going to do it for 15 minutes uh you know now i i thought i can do 15 minutes during this time and do 30 minutes during this time so don't think that you have to go in and complete that book you know first week or whatever new task you're trying to do you have to get to some expert level that people have been doing it for years have obtained you want to go in small increments to where you're just establishing the habit uh, another example i read was uh like if you're wanting to work out don't go and try to work out like an olympic athlete the first week and just feel tired and sluggish and not want to go Actually use that first week and just every night before you go to bed, set out your workout clothes. Every single day, set out your workout clothes before you go to bed. And then on the next week, set your workout clothes out. And then when you wake up, put them on and stretch for five minutes. Do that for two weeks. And now you've built the habit of I'm up, I've got my clothes on, I'm stretching. I still have time. Let's let's it stack on that. So uh, it's helpful because those little increments just laying your clothes out, you may think, I just laid my clothes out, but that's huge. If you do that for seven days in a row, that's seven reps you got, a pickup, sit down. Where if you work out, you might do it on Monday because everyone's motivated on Monday. But then you're too sore and you miss Tuesday. You get back on Wednesday but then work out in a way. So you get on Thursday, you're still, you're still hurting. You get back on Saturday, do a half-ass workout. Now it's the following Monday. You're going to do it on Wednesday and you just go right back into the repetitive cycle you had before then. So in that case, over a two-week period, you only got four reps to put your clothes out and and put them on, and and a process where you're just setting them out. You've got seven in one week. So uh, another great book I read was *The Atomic Habits*, and it it talks about how you incorporate different habits into your life. And that's either through uh, establishing uh, a new habit and building that in, or looking at what existing habits you have and then habit stacking. It's much like uh, I make my son breakfast every morning. So I put all my supplements that I need to take in the morning uh, on the first shelf right next to where all his stuff is so that as I'm making his and waiting for the toaster to go, I can easily just reach in and and take my supplements. But that the trigger of all that is I got to make my son breakfast and I'm not going to miss that. Right. So make my son breakfast. And while I'm doing that, I've built in some other habits that, well, this is something I'm doing every day. So I can stack these other habits in there to get done as well. So if we're just, all working towards a bigger picture thing, we get there through small incremental steps. When you start something, start even smaller and more incremental and build success on,
2: on that as you go.
0: I think that's a freaking great way to end this call, too. What do you think? <laughs>
2: Make it so, Kev. Yeah. Make it so. <laughs> Y'all miss me rambling
0: off the beachside chats every uh, two, <laughs> <don't you? laughs> i glad y'all entertained those. So I used to have, for the audience, I used to have this, uh, I think it was a weekly, bi-weekly beachside chat. I think the real value was I'd give like bonus heads up to people so that so they know that. But uh, I think it was more for me to tell bad jokes and, and just ramble in front of a bunch of people than, than y'all got the value out of it. So thank y'all for entertaining me during that time. So before we close off, any uh, parting words? And if you are slaying some stuff on the side, you want to promote anything through social media, please do so. Uh but parting words to the audience, uh myself or just in general. What do you what do you think?
3: Uh, just thank you for the opportunity, Chris. I'm I'm glad to see you're uh you're you're doing so well. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, this is only gonna be better. I mean this is well, at least for Limitless Connect, this is podcast one and I'm not uh I'm not trying to do a great and first class podcast by next week. I'm trying to build it for over the next two years uh so thanks uh for helping me get these reps as well uh this is still a little bit more comfortable than some of the other podcasts i've done when we're not as comfortable with material or prepared i mean i can talk about project management
2: and software delivery all day so all, all day. right
0: fenrick what you got
2: uh can't stop won't stop it's on my it's on my wristband and hashtag blessed that's that's what i'll leave you with yeah yeah all right, everybody. well really
0: appreciate kim and and, and Fenric joining us today It's part of my uh, my professional story there, there were big pieces in it uh, you know, both because i I felt that if you invest in people that you'll get the best out of them. I, I saw that with kim and and uh, the the different morning training sessions we had and then and then Fenrik, I learned that you don't need to be crazy high uh, as far as like intensity and uh, or on the bottom where you're just mad all the time. Like <laughs> Then it's the same thing. If he wins a million dollars or he's got a project that just goes down the tank, that guy is just steady Eddie. It always worried me at first. I'm like, does he even care? But then I learned like this is his demeanor. He takes stream ownership. He just has a very balanced and, more importantly, a very healthy way at approaching something that it's just work. It's not life. It doesn't define any of us. He's are just going out there. and like, I always said, we're just laying in software.
1: <laughs> no doubt.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you again, Tim and, uh, and Fenwick, uh, for the audience. Thanks for hanging in there. Live your limitless life. And, uh, we'll be back next week. Thank y'all.
3: Thanks guys.
2: Peace, Captain.